0: As we're approaching the end of the year, What You Will learn is securing sponsors for 2021. So if you want to sponsor to the What You Will learn audience who are curious, intelligent and all high achievers, then now is a good time to secure a spot and partner with us for a campaign next year because we'd much prefer listeners to partner with rather than just some uh, complete random businesses that we don't know much about. So we'll be giving discounts up to about 20% compared to standard podcast rates, which is an incredible deal uh, only for our listeners. So inquire at podcast at com if you want to partner with us next year.
1: Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton.
0: And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we'll take you through the best bits of the future is faster than you think by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler, How Converging Technologies Are Transforming Business, Industries, and Our Lives.
1: We start off with a look at the Skirball Cultural Center, which sits just off the 405 Freeway in Los Angeles. We're talking about this beautiful mountain, and right at the top, we've got this cultural center that offers these spectacular views in every single direction. It's this amazing place except for the fact that this massive freeway below it is absolutely congested. For six years in a row, LA has earned the honor or the dishonor of being the most gridlocked metropolis in the world.
0: It's one of the most painful experiences that we encounter, I think, just being sitting there in traffic in traffic jams for hours upon hours. Sometimes going through Melbourne, driving the opposite direction, I just can't believe how painful it would be the people who live in those outer suburbs and have to commute mm. in every day.
1: It's not good at all. The average uh, Los Angeles it, spends two and a half working weeks each year trapped in traffic, but thankfully help is on its way thanks to the Skirball Cultural Centre where they host the annual Flying Car Convention.
0: So in May 2018, it was ground zero for Uber's new invention or business, Uber Elevate. So it's a ride-sharing company's radical plan for solving all these traffic problems that we've got around the world. So Uber's mission is to solve human mobility. Mm.
1: And so, as part of solving human mobility, they've gone out with ride-sharing where not everybody needs a car. If you know, if, if you only need it for one specific part of the day, you can get somebody to drive you and then someone else has got that car free. The next evolution of this is this Uber Elevate, which is what they call aerial ride-sharing, which sounds incredible, but they reckon they've got flying cars are going to be available in Dallas and LA. You can just hire an Uber flying car by 2023.
0: Yeah, Ooh, pretty close. So, I think this is like the most quintessential stereotype of the future, right? Like from decades ago, they were looking to the future as if today would be like the George Jetson and Mm. the other, I forget the other Jetson names, but you're flying around all day. You think you would, right? Like 1960, you'd think flying cars are closer than going to the moon and back or something. Mm. There was commercials like the IBM commercial where Avery Books asked, it's the year 2000, but where are all the flying cars? I don't see them. Why? And Peter Thiel's got a famous quip where he said, we wanted flying cars and we got 140 characters. But according to this book, the wait is over for this kind of technology. They
1: say that flying cars are here, the
0: infrastructures are coming fast, While we're
1: sipping our lattes and checking our Instagram feeds. Science fiction is actually becoming science fact.
0: So, the thing that's going to unlock this as a possibility is obviously the cost which drive a lot of the world. So, it's all about the marginal costs of ownership. It's not about the purchase price but everything else, things like the gas, the repairs, the parking and all that. So, for cars right now, it's 59 cents per passenger mile. In comparison, a helicopter right now, it's about $8.93 per mile. So, it's over about say 15 times the cost of a cop and a helicopter. I've never mm-hmm. used one. But in 2020 today, they've driven it down to $5.73. And then they're going to go down to $1. 84 they they're predicting. And sooner or later, they're going to hit their longer-term target, which is $0.44 cents per passenger mile for flying vehicles. So, it's actually going to be cheaper in a flying vehicle than it is in your normal vehicle today.
1: And obviously, by that point, it becomes a no-brainer. You've got a flying vehicle or you can pay 50% more to drive around. Uh, it's an absolute no-brainer. So, in this episode, what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the one important factor, which is Convergence. Then we're going to talk about some of the major technologies that are all great on their own, but now they're converging to become even more powerful. We're going to talk about the seven forces that are accelerating the rate of change. And then finally, we're going to have a bit of a glimpse at the future, what the future of shopping might look like, what the future of food might look like, and what the future of global warming might look like.
0: Okay, so we're going to have a look at this concept of converging technology. And the first thing we need to understand is Moore's Law. You've probably heard about this. Um, and where it comes from is in 1965, it was Intel's founder, Gordon Moore, he noticed that the integrated circuit had been doubling every 18 months. So this th- meant that every year and a half, computers were twice as powerful, but the cost remained the same. So over a short period of time, it looks like linear and not a big deal, but he extrapolate that over a long enough time, exponentials start becoming ridiculous, and Explains the difference why the computers when they first came out, they were the size of your whole house essentially and cost a million times more than your house does. Uh, Compared to today, it's a million times more powerful than that and a million times cheaper and it can just sit in your pocket. So it's just a ridiculous change and improvement in the power of computing over that short or relatively short period of time.
1: So that law um, holds true and it's been holding true for four or five decades and it's not slowing down either. Uh, we got Ray Kurzweil, who is the Director of Engineering at Google. He's also the co-founder of Singularity University. He says that anything you can digitize then jumps on the back of Moore's Law. So if you've got an an idea or a product, a service, or some kind of uh, new invention, if you can digitize that down to ones and zeros uh, into some line of computing code, then this also jumps on the back of Moore's Law and starts to accelerate exponentially.
0: Where it gets really interesting is where you get a couple of things that are on the Moore's Law kind of trajectory and then they overlap. So using a wave analogy, you've got one wave and then if you've got another wave on top of that and on top of that, you end up having these huge tsunami behemoths that kind of threaten away the existing ways of doing things and this is how it explains new technologies that seem well today like flying vehicles, they're not that far away.
1: Yeah, if you think about Uber's elevate proposition, these flying cars need to meet these three basic requirements. They need to comply with uh, noise, safety, and price. So if you think about it, helicopters, super noisy, super annoying, uh, not really that safe. They fall out of the sky all too often. Uh, and if you think if it conks out just once, the whole thing drops, not very safe at all. And also, as we said, super expensive. But
0: all these three things are starting to come down to become a nice, juicy proposition for future flying cars. So, traditionally, you've had a couple of rotary engines, and what they're moving towards now is a heap or hundreds of small little fans on your plane's wing. And so, the combination generates enough lift to fly, but because there's so many little ones, it generates hardly any of the equal amount of noise. And if a few of them conk out, it's much safer as well because you've got all these backups in your system. Another thing traditionally, it's been very horrible in terms of power-to-weight ratios because of the inefficiencies of the use of gasoline. But going forward, there's new prospects in distributed electric propulsion. So the demand for all these military drones has put a lot of innovation into this area where the drones have become extremely lightweight and capable of carrying heavy loads, and also with batteries that reduce its weight compared to the gasoline engine.
1: So what got us to this point was the convergence of three techs. So the first one was machine learning, and what machine learning allowed was that engineers could run enormously complicated flight simulators. So they don't have to build something and go and test it. They can just run it through a simulator to see if it's going to work or not. Next was the convergence of material science, which that allows them to create parts that are light enough to fly, but also durable enough to be safe. And the third tech was different manufacturing techniques. So if you think about the cost of 3D printing, it allows you to create these uh, motors and all the different parts cheaply and at scale. So these three things, machine learning, material science and manufacturing techniques have all converged to allow flying cars to be a viable proposition.
0: So what the authors are saying here, by the end of the 2020s, mobility and transport is going to be entirely different to what we could possibly imagine today. And it might seem like a big deal and almost impossible, but if you look at retail as an example, in 2006, your traditional form of retail was booming. You had Target, which had a valuation of $39 billion. Walmart, $158 billion. Uh, huge companies at the time and Amazon in here, they were $17 billion. So nothing in comparison. A decade later, all of the other ones, they essentially suck on the stock market. And <laughs> Amazon's the big behemoth, $1.5 trillion evaluation, which is essentially unheard of. And they've really revolutionized retail in a very big way. So, in that similar kind of change, we're going to see in travel and all the other different industries we can imagine are going to go through the same kind of innovation and change.
1: So over the next decade we're going to see all kinds of these opportunities across dozens of industries. The authors say here that you know the unicorn, you know the unicorn, if you build a, an idea from zero to a billion, there used to be a two or three decade growth. Now they're saying you can just go from I've got an idea to I run a billion dollar company in a year or two. That's, that's pretty handy. Yeah. And so if all these people are bringing all these ideas together, all these different converging technologies, the world is going to look radically different. So, he spoke about how in flying cars, there was that convergence of machine learning, material science, and manufacturing techniques. And using that wave analogy where all these different waves that are all accelerating and going exponential at the same time, and they're all combining into one massive earth-shattering tsunami, there's a whole bunch of different technologies that are all converging, that are all hitting these exponential curves at the same time. So, we'll run through a a bunch of these different technologies that are all going to work together.
0: So, the first wave, so to speak, is uh, artificial intelligence. So, innovations have really been piling up for years. In 1995, AI could read zip codes, not a very difficult thing, I'd say (laughs) two or three-year-old might be able to do that. But by 2011, so 16 years later, it could read 43 different types of traffic signals with 99.46% accuracy. Big deal. It's probably better than most drivers I know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> in 2012, AI's outperformed humans in clarifying thousands of different types of images, teasing apart birds, cats, all those kind of things. So already better than them. And today, it can pick you out in a crowd, read your lips, and other biomarkers to know what you're feeling. So it's, getting it's pretty, pretty crazy scary now, isn't it? And tracking software is so dexterous now that an AI drone can follow a human sprinting through a dense forest. That's um, scary. <laughs> So scary. It's a pretty arbitrary example, but I've chosen a very, very scary one, I think.
1: But yeah, so that's just one of the waves. Another wave is robotics. So uh, Boston Dynamics in 2016, they released this robot called Atlas and it hiked through these slick snowy woods. It stacked boxes in a warehouse and it can even regain balance after someone whacks it with a hockey stick.
0: It's a pretty brave human who
1: does that. <laughs> I was, <laughs> was going to saw the video. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't remember. <laughs> When they get to this point, um, I wouldn't be whacking them with hockey sticks.
0: No, no way. Especially we can just follow you down yeah. and run, <laughs> through, run the and through the forest.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, that's not good. Uh, but then there's, there's another company, this Danish manufacturer called Universal Robotics. They they are building this like industrial scale robot, and it only costs twenty three thousand bucks. Now twenty three thousand bucks—that's kind of like less than the annual wage of one factory worker. Mm. So if you can replace a whole bunch of factory workers for the cost of just one worker. And mm. they stay forever. They work 24-7. Mm. Uh, it's it's uh, it's pretty obvious why companies like Tesla, General Motors, Ford, Oof. they're automating all of their construction plants with robots.
0: Mate, no sickies, no <laughs> factory politics.
1: No, no, no spending 20 minutes on the dunny. <laughs>
0: six times a day. <laughs> Another one we've got here is virtual and augmented reality. So, if you think about all of history, we've really been limited by the laws of physics and mitigated by the five sensors. So, VR is rewriting those rules. It's letting us really digitize experience and teleport our sensors into this computer-generated world. My first ever experience with VR was like like four years ago or something. Popped it on, throw a ball in the air, and uh, they turn off gravity, and it just doesn't come down. It's a very weird experience, and that's the very start of VR. So, going forward, there's over 1,800 different AR startups today as well, and by 2021... The activity in the market is setting to hit 133 billion dollars, and already 100 bucks gets you a really entry level headset, so anyone can do it. And up to about three grand for a Hololens, which isn't too bad either.
1: Yeah, nice, Matt, I've been off uh, Instagram for a fair while. Um, you've been <laughs> running it recently. I don't know what you've done to our algorithm and who you're following and stuff, but I saw this one um, person pop up on our uh, you know most most watched stories. Uh, what, what? How do we put this? Anyway, she's released a, she's released a new VR porn uh, where she is. You know they've taken her, they've digitized her. Um, all you have to do is whack your VR headset on.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be it's <laughs> gonna be pretty popular. <laughs> that's, that's gonna be very popular. As I was going through the shop, local shopping center, and uh, some bloke goes, "Come and come and check out this VR headset." Trying to sell it on me, and he actually popped it on my head. I was um, expecting to go in like a shooting zombies or something, but it was in a strip club in the middle of. Southland. And I was trying to not look excited, but anyway, couldn't help it. What else is there, Asho? <laughs> yeah,
1: we need to get off this. We've also got our three D printing. So uh, there's a story here. The most. Ex- expensive supply chain in the universe is only 240 miles long and that's the gap between mission control here on earth and the international space station so every time we need to send something up there we've got to shoot a rocket up there which is bloody expensive but now we've got this development where we've got a 3d printer up in space and you can just print stuff off if you know if any parts um, get broken rather than having so many spares on hand just in case and then sending rockets up of new supplies, you can just shoot up the code and print it off. So in 2018, one of the astronauts, they broke their finger. They didn't have to send a splint up from Earth. They could just tell them, hey, mate, just print this bad boy off and strap her on.
0: Yeah, it's pretty insane now. They're 3D printing entire apartment complexes and jet engines, so things that are completely science fiction.
1: They're saying you can print metal, rubber, glass, plastic, leather, and
0: chocolate. How can you 3D print chocolate? That'd be an interesting one, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Another one we've got here is material science and nanotechnology. So one of the most famous engineers across all disciplines, but uh, mainly material science, was Thomas Edison. And his problem was material science in trying to invent the light bulb. What he went through was 1,600 materials before setting on carbon-coated cotton, and that lasted for 14 and a half hours. So you can imagine Edison right? 1,600 materials takes a very long time to get through. It took him 14 months. But today, engineers can skip all of that same work Edison had to go through. And rather than just using their hands and experimenting, they can use silicon chips and computing power to do millions and millions of combinations of different elements to see what is the most optimal solution. So, they're really just playing improv kind of jazz with the periodic table, coming up with all sorts of combinations and never seen before and coming up with all sorts of new engineering properties that can improve how we build almost everything.
1: Another big wave is biotechnology. If we look at the first mapping or sequencing of the human genome, it cost $100 million and it took 10 years to complete in 2001. Since then, we're talking Moore's Law on steroids and the cost has come down to 1000 bucks in a few days. And in just a few short years from now, they're projecting that it's going to be under an hour to sequence a human genome and cost 100 bucks.
0: So insane. So as we said at the start, these are all waves coming together But when they converge in different industries, a whole bunch of new things are going to happen. So the industry I'm in, in my day job, right, I'm just going to kind of go on the fly here and see how we go. But say if you've got a VR headset on and you're doing your design in that, you could have an AI chipped into your ear and you're working with an AI to do a certain design and giving you all these different things. And um, the AI is doing hundreds of different solutions per second and you're just saying, hey, let's go for this kind of look and then <laughs> hundred different looks, right? So that changes design altogether. Behind that, you've got the engineering that's automatically optimizing again through the AI, pretty simple comps. And then on top of that, you might have a 3D uh, printer putting it all together or inside the factory robotics, putting these unique shapes and sizes that they've never been able to be built before. Then you got... Um, logistics, you got the- Material or-
1: science, they could be blending together to make some really sturdy thing, lightweight, I don't know, some brand new- Let's go with chocolate, mate. Just <laughs> a, the chocolate building, Astro's <laughs> chocolate
0: house. Chocolate building, <laughs> chocolate, <laughs> chocolate house. Um, and then wrapping it all together with robots on site. So, you know, putting them all together, it starts getting pretty ridiculous. So, we've been looking at technologies with a pretty wild source that are shaping the future, but they're not the only things- what D Amanda and Kotler have here are seven completely different forces that are shaping our future, which are acting like kind of amplifiers on top of these converging waves and technology.
1: So, the first force is saved time. If you think about the impacts of, of tech on saving time, they, there was a study uh, at the University of Michigan in 2014. They gave the participants a set of questions. Half of them were given the internet to find the answers and half of them had to go and search through the library. Um, So that sounds pretty archaic. The online inquiries averaged seven minutes per answer. That must have been bloody hard questions, Mm. not a simple Google search. But the offline inquiries, the library people, that that was 22 minutes to get to the answer. So for one question, we've saved 15 minutes. If you think about all the different questions and queries throughout the day, Uh, They've estimated. I don't know how they got this estimate, but they've estimated three and a half billion a day. If you multiply that by the amount of time saved, we're saving over fifty billion minutes a day. That's a hell of a lot of lifetime saved every single day. So this force of saved time is one thing that's really accelerating the rate of change. Mm,
0: So those—that's another yeah, fifty billion minutes a day spent on other productive things that weren't lost down the toilet. I think that's uh, real pertinent when writing the book, and you just quickly just go Google to check something. It takes (laughs) ten seconds, right? Another force we got here is availability of capital. If you think about the Apollo program, Kennedy's goal of, I guess, humanity's goal of getting to the moon, what allowed that was spending 2.2% of US GDP. It wouldn't, just simply wouldn't have happened if there was mm. enough cash going toward it. What he says is uh, more bucks, more Buck Rogers. That's it, big know, bad Buck. Don't know who Buck Rogers is. <laughs> it sounds like a good
1: gag if you knew who Buck Rogers if you was. you know who it is,
0: there's probably it's a probably, few people bail laughing, laughing at the moment. <laughs> you think that's a hilarious joke. So today, it's easier than ever for innovators to acquire funding than any other time before. The venture capital industry, low interest rates, everything like that, it's quite easy to get money to fund your startup compared to what it used to be like. So, more money directed to more moonshot and crazy ideas improves the odds of these ideas coming into fruition.
1: The third big force is demonetization. So, innovation demands research, but what we're saying is all all these things that are coming together and getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper means that money is becoming less and less of a factor. If you if originally, you know, it took $100 million to sequence a human genome, that's a pretty big cost. Mm. When you can do it for 100 bucks in just an hour, then there's a hell of a lot of... Uh, a hell of a lot of innovation that can be driven from that. If you just look at it, you know, you've got a $50 smartphone in Mumbai. It's got access to the same cameras, accelerometers, and GPSs that not long ago would have cost thousands, if not tens of thousands.
0: Another f- less obvious force is more genius. So, if we think about a, a bloke who was born in Madras in 1887 named Srinivasa Ramanajan, I was pretty close there. But he got a real lucky break um, to go to Cambridge from India. So despite being from India and being less educated than those in Cambridge, he came in and he basically just cleaned up, right? He was an absolute genius. He was the youngest member in history to enter the Royal Society, contributed 3,900 formula to math and solutions to all the things that they thought unsolvable. So this dude here, he came in. Him going to Cambridge from India actually changed the world in ways that... Uh, we probably don't appreciate today,
1: and that's just one bloke. That's just one genius who was hidden, tucked away in India that they would have never been able to access except for this lucky break. How many more geniuses like that have been hidden in obscurity throughout human history? So until recently, they would have been squandered. But if if you think about their connectivity today with all these geniuses around the world, their their brain power can now be tapped into.
0: You've know, got more and more brains in developing countries getting internet and connected and having access to these demonetized technologies to actually contribute their talents to the world. Another force is new business models. So, a business model is a system and a process a company uses to generate more value. So, for most of history, they were pretty basic models and stable and dominated by a few key ideas. Yeah. If you think
1: about it in the 1920s, you've got the bait and hook model which is where you lure customers in with this low-cost initial product. Think of Gillette. It's pretty cheap to buy that first razor, but then to keep buying the replacement blades, that's when they hook you in because it only fits on that one specific one. Then you go to the 1950s, you got the franchise model. Think of McDonald's. In the 1960s, you got these hypermarkets like Walmart. There was only a couple of these major uh, business models that really drove all of the innovation. But if you, if you think of it now, there's so many more opportunities opening up and so many different ways for businesses to monetize their products.
0: We've got crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, staff on demand and leveraging the billions of people coming online, the free data economy, the smartness economy, which as Kevin Kelly said in the book, we reviewed the inevitable. He says the next 1,000 startups are easy. Just add X plus AI. Um, And there's also decentralized autonomous organizations. So having AI basically basically run everything, you're just sitting there um, sipping on a cocktail and just getting paid because the AI is doing the work for you. And
1: the final force is longer lives. So, they're talking in this book about longevity. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, who we mentioned uh, of Singularity University, he's saying that each year, our lifespan is increasing, but by less than one year. So, we're getting a bit better, but we're still going to die. He's saying that very soon, he reckons in the next decade or so, each year, we're going to extend lifespans by more than one year. Mm. So, if every year you're extending your lifespan by more than a year- Mm.
0: Crazy. You just live forever <laughs> he calls it longevity escape velocity. So <laughs> living forever, which is pretty wild. If you think people like Albert Einstein or Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs went pretty early. Hmm. Imagine if he had another thirty years. He was going wild toward his last decade, <laughs>
1: right? Like exactly. If you think of so, we're combining. If there's more people, more geniuses being accessed, and then all these geniuses are living longer. How much more cool shit can they do in their lifespan?
0: It's you, Asha. You're a genius.
1: <laughs> if I live forever, man, the world's going to be a very, very happy place. He's saying that 10, 10 to 12 years and then we're going to be at longevity escape velocity.
0: Mate, Kersey. I hope he's right, man. Kersey's got some wild predictions. I'd, I'd love to live forever <laughs> or at least a long time. That'd be great.
1: So, we started by talking about the power of convergence, how this idea of convergence, all these different technologies coming together and working together, all the waves building on each other to create that one massive tsunami. Then we spoke about some of those waves, what are the different technologies that are going to drive change. Then we spoke about the forces, what are the forces that are driving the acceleration of the rate of change. Let's now use these to start to project forward, to think about what our world might look like in just a short number of years when all these things come together.
0: So, we'll just look at a couple of different industries but it's probably going to be the same for every industry you can think of. So, let's start by looking at the future of shopping. If you think when you go somewhere, um, there's a long line to wait to buy something, it's a bit of a pain in the ass. If you look from the retailer's point of view, the long line costs money because people don't want to go there. You're paying the staff to put them through but going forward, the big retailers, the investing in automated checkouts and they're going to save them 150 to 300 billion dollars a year by 2025 and it deters theft it automates the restocking in the background mm. and it ensures inventory is always at the right spot so, in tomorrow, they reckon AI is going to be able to hold the conversation if you're going through the cashier and it'll probably be optional conversation, yeah. probably just walk <laughs> I'll out. i flick it off, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, the other one is like the idea of robots. So, the, the AI is with the automated checkouts, you know exactly what products need to be restocked. Now, they're saying robots can then go and restock it. So, there was the Amazon Go store had just one employee on at a time. So, they didn't need people stocking the shelves. They didn't need cashier checkouts. The only person they needed was a human to check the IDs in the mm. liquor. Section to make sure that underage kids weren't buying ciggies and, and beers.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that, that job's going to get... Yeah, <laughs> That'd be, it'd be pretty easy to
1: scan a license. That'd be pretty I easy suppose, to scan a yeah. license. I suppose they can just watch and make sure that you well, are we, scanning we, your license. Yeah, yeah, well,
0: we only heard earlier they're better at spotting Fashion cats and dogs. I'm yeah. sure they're better at spotting <laughs> humans as well.
1: Okay, that bloke's about to get
0: fired. No, I think. he's <laughs> done. He's, he's done. And if you look at the minimum wage in 2024, it's projected to keep going up for 15 bucks an hour. All well-intentioned, right? kind of spreading the equality, but if you're running the business, you're thinking, all right, I'm not going to, I don't really care about this, (laughs) I'm out there to make money. Robots, they do a much better job, as I was saying. Uh, No sickies, no going to take a bathroom break, no health insurance, no maternity leave or anything like that. So, technological unemployment, it's going to become more and more of an issue going forward. Mm.
1: The other idea about three d printing, so over the next ten years three d printing is going to reshape retail. If you think about the supply chain, so you, you you're growing something in one area of the country, shipping it all across to the other side of the country, uh, probably going back and forth a couple of times in between with these complicated logistics patterns. If you can then just if you can three d print a lot of stuff, you don't need to grow it on a farm, then send it somewhere else to get packaged and then send it back, a lot of that can be simplified.
0: So the retail industry is in for a bit of trouble in the next 10, 20 years or so, they've got a little bit of hope. Um, they need to pivot and make some big changes if they're going to be on the right side of the innovation and disruption that's coming. And it's this new concept of the experience economy. So Westfield, so I'm assuming Westfield are out there in the US. They're big here in Australia right. as well. But their 10-year vision for the future of retail is to just go in there and have a huge experience. So if you go into the bathroom and you're drop something then off, drop the kids off or you do a wee or something like that. Scanners go through it and they go, all right, you're missing, you're low on all these kind of supplements. <laughs> no, it's legit. It's all the same. Um, you know, and you're go into some booth and it tries 100 clothes on you. So, you're chatting with the AI or whatever and bang, straight away, you get it delivered to your home. So, you're not really buying it there. That
1: would be good to like stand in the in the virtual change room rather than trying on six different clothes in, you know, 20 minutes. Mm. Then you can just go there and they can just show you, here's what you're going to look like in these 300 different items. Mm. Yeah.
0: yeah. Eye scanners, letting you know your eyes are wrong. So, all these kind of things that you probably should be doing but you can mm. get in the – big shopping center.
1: Well, that sounds good. So it's obviously a lot of things are going to change, but there is a bit of a glimmer of hope for shopping and retail. Uh, Another big industry they say is going to be shaken up by these forces is the future of food. So imagine it's 2030, you're hungry. Your AI has sensed that you're hungry before you even know it. It also knows your historical preferences. It knows your nutritional needs right now. Eight minutes later, the Amazon drone rolls up to your door. It's got two bags of fresh fresh veggies, some raw ingredients, some stuff you've never seen before that used to be only found in the, the deep, dense jungles of Vietnam, but now you can access it. Uh, you load these ingredients into your 3D food printer, and all of a sudden, a few minutes mm. later, out pops your tasty uh, chicken and veggies.
0: <laughs> Is that what you choose, mate? <laughs> you've got access to everything <laughs> in the world.
1: Well, they're fancy veggies, you know, they're not just like your your broccoli and potato. No, I think we can they've do, got some. Mate, <laughs> if we're
0: if we're in in uh, and and <laughs> as well, I think we're going a bit bit bit, bit better than that. But anyway, and it's right for disruption as well. The whole food industry. If you think about the inefficiency of food, the average American meal, for example, it travels about two thousand five hundred miles to arrive on your plate, and then after that, forty percent of it is never eaten. It mm-hmm. Kind of just rots away. So, we're all moving closer to cities. So, having our food travel that distance is very bad for the environment, very wasteful and very inefficient. But there's this new innovation coming through which is known as vertical farming which is better suited for cities.
1: Yeah, this vertical farming, you can basically, you know, you can have a building where on different levels you're growing different stuff and I suppose what I thought before reading this was, oh, that that sounds dodgy. You know, if if you're growing food in a lab or doing some – how is it going to see sunlight? how's it, it surely it's not going to be as nutritious, but they say it's actually going to be far more nutritious. The need for pesticides is going to disappear, and instead of you know you plucking your apple off the tree, every minute that it's off the tree, it's losing its nutritional value. So instead of you know taking a week to get to get to your house or more, you, they're saying you can pluck it and the next day eat it. So it's actually going to be more nutritious by growing them closer to the cities and closer to where we are.
0: So that's for all your vegetables. Then the other food we got is uh, obviously meat. In the Western world, we love it. In China and India, as they enter the middle class, they got billions entering the middle class, they want a bit more meat as well. Yeah, we can't be in bats and pangolins anymore either. Yeah, (laughs) unfortunately. So it's a bit of an issue, a bit of a conundrum because today 50% of all habitable land on earth is used for agriculture. 80% of that is for livestock and growing meat. That's a ridiculous number. So, we've got 20 billion chickens, 1.5 billion cattle and 1.1 billion sheep alive today and that is until we kill them and, mm. and eat them.
1: That's a lot of suffering. That's yeah. a lot of suffering. All those billions of animals that are living a pretty shocking life and are eventually just going to be slaughtered so that we can eat them. Mm. They're saying uh, there's a stat here that one in eight Americans go to bed hungry each night but 30% of the world's food crop are going to keep all those cows and chickens and sheep pretty plump and fat. They're never going hungry.
0: Yep. Not only that, meat is responsible for 14.5% of our greenhouse gas emissions and responsible for the biggest portion of our deforestation around the world. So, our addiction to meat's causing all sorts of huge problems around the world. And I don't think that's news to everybody. And if you think about it, if you want a steak, uh, it means you've got to
1: bring up a whole cow. It probably takes a couple of years until it's ready uh, to go to slaughter so that you can eat your steak. Uh, not to mention all the waste along the way. Not to mention all the things that we've already spoken about, about greenhouse gas and suffering and all these things. Uh, but that's to, a whole cow to get this this one steak for us. Instead, if we can grow these steaks from this one single stem cell, we don't need the cow at all. Nobody mm. needs to suffer. We can grow this meat in a lab. Now, at first, it wasn't really that uh, effective in the in sense that it was uh, in 2013, the first burger made from cultured meat cost $330,000. That's a bloody expensive burger. Five years later, 2018, Memphis Meats, they were growing meat for two and a half grand a pound. Now... Uh, Aleph Farms has got steak for 50 bucks a pound, and Ooh. they're saying in just a few years it's going to be down to five bucks.
0: Yeah Mate, end of F30 uh, burgers here, yeah, end of season's <laughs> going to be cultured. <laughs> That's it. And uh, bring that back to the solution. Culture meat uses 99 percent less land, 96 percent less water, and 96 percent less greenhouse gas emissions, right? And we can just open, just replant all the forests and then combat global warming, more carbon sinks and solves loads of our problems.
1: And that's probably a good um, segue to the future of global warming. It's obviously a massive problem at the moment. And uh, thankfully, these two authors, they're optimistic in our our hopes that all these future technologies will be able to help in some way. If you think about the cost of burning fossil fuels for energy, it's 40 billion tons of CO2. That's every year, yeah? Mm. Every single year. And so they say that's the equivalent of burning... Forty two million square kilometres of forest fire. And to put that into context, Africa is thirty million square kilometers. So we're talking almost one and a half Africa's being burnt every single year. That's the amount of shit that
0: we're putting into the into the atmosphere. That's an insane amount, man. So obviously a better solution would be wind and solar. And luckily they used to be very, very expensive, but they've been riding exponential growth curves as well for decades. And they're dropping now to appear as a serious benefit compared to coal. So just looking at solar, they've had a 300-fold reduction in the cost of making the panel. So in 1977, it cost 77 bucks per watt. Today, it's $0.30 per watt, much cheaper than coal.
1: If you think about wind as well, coal used to be the cheapest energy available. It was costing about uh, $0.06 cents per kilowatt hour. Uh, in the 1980s, when wind plants were just starting up, they were generating at $0.57 cents per kilowatt hour. So we're talking 10 times the cost. So obviously, coal is more attractive. But in windy conditions today, we're talking about 2.1 cents, so a third of the cost of coal. Uh, It's been a 94% decrease in the last three or four decades. And over the next decade, they're Mm. expecting the cost of wind energy to hit one cent by the year 2030.
0: Absolutely. So, wind and solar are clearly much, much cheaper than coal, except for one caveat, uh, what happens when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining. (laughs) That's right. And then coal is obviously the better solution in that case. So, the bridge here is to improve the use of energy storage. So, obviously, if you've got batteries somewhere to store the energy, then it'll clearly be cheaper than coal, um, you know, any time of day or at any time. And luckily, storage has also been on an exponential mm. curve. It's a bit later than um, solar and wind, but it's getting there. Uh, mate, I can't believe we've gone
1: through, you know, 35 minutes of an episode about technology and futurism and um, and brand new stuff and we haven't even mentioned Elon Musk's name once <laughs> I thought for sure you would have brought that in earlier than this I think but- I
0: consciously uh, yeah,
1: avoided it <laughs> okay so now it's okay we ha- we're nearly at the end but we have to get Tesla in here so Tesla they're cranking out these gigafactories they're,
0: they're focused on this energy storage Texas so- Shanghai uh, Germany, <laughs> pumping out gigafactories everywhere. Go on. Now <laughs> you've
1: been getting up at 6am watching all the all the press conferences, yeah. all of Elon Battery making all these day, big mate. announcements. Uh, California, they've committed that they want to go 100% renewable by 2045. Now, in order to hit that, they need 36 million megawatt hours of energy storage. Okay, so now uh, Big Elon, your mate, he's cranking out 20 gigawatt hours of storage energy per year. So, in two years, he's pretty much got California covered. And that's Mm. just at the current rate. If he gets even quicker,
0: uh, very soon, the whole world will be running on Elon juice. Mm. So, going forward, uh, storage is really the key to solving all of our energy issues, not just um, in our electricity grids, but cars, also allowing things like flying vehicles. The whole world's going to change as energy gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And we're starting to unlock and harness the power of renewable energy.
1: So, if all of these things are coming true, we've got these converging different waves and all these forces that are driving the rate of change. We spoke about how that could impact on a couple of industries. The book goes through a couple more, but I'm sure you can easily think about how this could apply to the industry you're in as well. By bringing all of these different innovations that are hitting their exponential curves all at the same time, within a few short years, the world could look very, very different.
0: Mate, I think there's never been a better time to be alive. Would you say that?
1: I hope so, man. Especially if Clearly, in ten man, years, like, if we hit longevity and then we're going to be alive forever, oof. then mate, that's phenomenal. <laughs> How good would that be? That'd be great. Mate, surely, surely, uh, surely, ten years is is ambitious. Oh, it's a bit ambitious.
0: <laughs> I, as long as, th- hopefully, not when we're seventy. Yeah, that's so right. we're seventy. I, don't, I want to be at least fifty years old and have <laughs> a bit of energy and still have a bit of libido as well. Right, <laughs> that's it.
1: couple of reviews to round out this year. Thank you so much to anybody who has left us a review, sent us an email, jumped on the website and filled out a contact us or sent us a message through social media. We love hearing from you guys. We love hearing uh, about what you guys are up to, what you're enjoying, uh, and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, The next episode coming up will be our best of 2020, so we're looking forward to that. Just want to give a couple of shout-outs to these awesome reviewers. LWL103 from United States. Bloody good, five out of five. Fantastic banter, guys. Keep it up. We've got Brendan D. Kelly from Australia, best podcast I've listened to, very insightful podcast delivered in a very engaging and humorous way. I don't get a lot of time to read these days, so enjoying hearing Adam and Adam deliver their summation of high-quality non-fiction books. And we've got Super Phoenix from Australia saying, awesome, these guys are epic. They discuss business issues with a unique Australian angle, the unique Australian way of reviewing international books is so cool. The Tom Peters Excellence Dividend was rad. Thanks so much to all those people and to anyone who sent in a review or a message or an email this year, uh, all the best for Christmas, holidays, New Year, and we'll see you very soon for our best of 2020 episode.